Well, every December, the humorist Dave Barry writes a review of the preceding year. So this is what he wrote uh, just a, a few days ago. He said, we're trying to think of something nice to say about 2020. Okay, he said, here goes. Nobody got killed by the murder hornets, as far as we know. He said, that's pretty much it. He said, in the past, writing these annual reviews, we have said harsh things about previous years. We owe those years an apology. Compared to 2020, all previous years, even the disco era, were the golden age of human existence. This was a year of nonstop awfulness, a year when we kept saying it couldn't possibly get any worse, and it always did. In fact, I saw a statistic just the other day that said that um, according to a, a survey of Americans, a majority of Americans, 55% said 2020 was the worst year of their life. You measure 55% said this was the worst year I've ever had. I, I like to be, uh, interact with people on Twitter, and so I asked some of my Twitter friends, what's one word you would use to describe 2020? And these were some of the words that I uh, was provided. Doozy, fear, sorrow, overwhelming, heartbreaking, chaotic, challenging, depressing, oppressing, disheartening, surreal, strange, exhausting, apocalyptic. One person invented a new word, twilight zone. Just one word, twilight zone. Another said, is ug a word? Now here we are in 2021, a new year. If there's one lesson we can take from 2020, it's that each of us needs the power of God in our life in 2021 and beyond. Isn't that right? I mean, when I think of God's power, my mind immediately goes to the 29th Psalm, which has, by the way, an unexpected twist at the end of it that is relevant to each one of us in the 21st century. In the 29th Psalm, David was trying to creatively capture the extent of God's incredible strength. So he hearkened back to his days when he was a shepherd. And he would watch these awesome storms rumble in with frightening intensity. Here's what he wrote, starting in verse 3. He said, the voice of the Lord is over the waters. In other words, this is a storm that's roaring in from the Mediterranean. The God of glory thunders. The Lord thunders over the mighty waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is majestic. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks in pieces the cedars of Lebanon. Do you know how big the cedars get in Lebanon? They can have a diameter of 30 feet, and they can be as tall as a 12-story building. But David is saying a mere whisper from God can turn all that into kindling. He goes on, he said, God makes Lebanon skip like a calf, Syrian like a young wild ox. Syrian is a 9,000-foot mountain. In other words, God's voice is like a mighty earthquake that makes the plains and the mountains shake and quiver and undulate and dance. He goes on, he says, the voice of the Lord strikes with flashes of lightning. Think about the incredible power that's released by the 40 million lightning bolts that strike each year just in the United States. In a fraction of a second, each flash of lightning discharges 100 million volts of electricity at 13,000 million horsepower at a temperature five times hotter than the surface of the sun. 
And yet, he's saying a single utterance from the lips of the Lord is more potent than all of the uh, lightning in the 1,800 thunderstorms that are taking place at this very moment around the planet. He goes on, he says, the voice of the Lord shakes the desert. The Lord shakes the desert of Kadesh. See, Kadesh is in the south, Syrian is in the north. So we say, in other words, God's power flows across the entire land. Nobody can flee from it. It says, the voice of the Lord twists the oaks and strips the forest bare. Do you remember the photos after Mount St. Helen in the Pacific Northwest blew up back in 1980? Remember the photos of that event? In a blast, it had the explosive force of 500 atomic bombs. Giant trees were toppled like matchsticks and stripped clean of their bark over 230 square miles. Millions of trees, enough to build 300,000 houses. And yet, David's saying, that kind of thing, that's child's play compared to the power of God. And so how do we respond to this incredible power? Well, David said, and in his temple, all cry, glory, glory. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord is enthroned as king forever. I mean, what other response can we have but to worship him for being such a a breathtakingly awesome God who richly deserves to reign over his creation? But then David's poem takes an unexpected turn. It has a surprise ending, an, an unanticipated twist at the end. You'd think that a being who is this powerful, who has this kind of strength, would hoard his power and would sort of um, use it to browbeat his creation. As British historian Lord Acton famously said, power tends to corrupt, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. But although God is absolutely powerful. Surprisingly, his power does not corrupt him. In fact, it's quite the opposite. Psalm 29 ends with these unexpected words. The Lord gives strength to his people. The Lord blesses his people with peace. In other words, God isn't drunk on power like some earthly king might be. He doesn't hoard his power. Instead, he is an empowering deity who offers to share his strength with the likes of you and me. And that's a good thing as we enter 2021. Because the result is that we can find peace when we're panicky, we can find endurance when we're empty, and we can find courage when we're cowardly. 2 Timothy 1 verse 7 says, For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, love, and self-discipline. I mean, who doesn't need that kind of power in their life? Who doesn't need a share of that kind of incredible strength as we face 2021? There are lots of areas where we could use that kind of power. I'm going to mention three of them specifically. First, God can give us power to cope with pain in our life. God can give us power to cope with the pain in our life. He can strengthen us through times of hardship that we simply cannot get through on our own. You see, there's some religious leaders, especially from the East, who say that, you know, suffering, it's an illusion. It's Maya, term they use. It's, it's not real. It's just an illusion. And Jesus says, in a sense, baloney, baloney, it's real. Jesus said, Jesus was honest. Jesus said in John 16, these things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. 
In the world, you will have tribulation. You'll have suffering. You'll have problems. But take courage, he said. I have overcome the world. What's he saying? He's saying we live in a world that is corroded by sin. And so we're going to experience suffering and hardship in this life. But in that same verse, Jesus offers us the two very things that we need the most. Peace to deal with the present and courage to deal with our future. And where do they come from? They come from a God who gives us the power to get through the pain that we otherwise could not get through on our own. I know many people, many people sitting here have suffered in 2021. My older brother died um, in 2021, um, and we haven't even been able to have a funeral. Um, when the day comes when you need to access the strength of God to cope with the kind of tribulations that we experience in this life, how are you going to get it? Where are you going to find it? How are you going to access it? And that's really the question, isn't it? It's the how question. Yes, we know God is powerful. I'll give you that. How do we access his power in our life? Hold on to that thought because we're going to address that in a few moments. My second point is that God can give us power to resist temptation. Now, temptations lure us every day. I saw a bumper sticker once that said, lead me not into temptation. I'm perfectly capable of finding it on my own. Uh, C.S. Lewis said that some people have the silly idea that good folks don't know what temptation means. He said, this is an obvious lie. He said, only those who try to resist temptation know how strong it can be. Temptations are those unethical or immoral shortcuts that inevitably lead us down a dead-end road. Should you shade the truth on your resume? Nobody ever double-checks those things. Should you visit that X-rated website? <laughs> Nobody will ever know. Should you take credit for your assistant's ideas? If you do it right, you'll get all the benefits and nobody will ever figure it out. Should you report that side income to the IRS? They don't have any way of knowing that I got that extra money, do they? You know, I was an atheist for much of my life. And when I was an atheist, I only had two criteria to determine which temptations I would indulge in. First, how much pleasure would it bring me? And secondly, what are the odds I'd get caught? And as a result, I ended up giving in to a bunch of short-term pleasures that inevitably yielded long-term headaches. But after I became a follower of Jesus, I found the temptations didn't stop. They didn't, in fact, they intensified. And to make matters worse, my view of God's attitude toward temptations was wrong when I was a young Christian. I pictured God as if he had a choke collar on me. You know, when I was a kid, I had a giant dog. He was a great dog. His name was Nick. And uh, he was huge. And, he, you know, when you when stand on his hind legs, he could put his paws over my shoulders. That's how big he was. And so the only way I could control Nick when I would take him for a walk was to put a choke collar on him. So that when he saw that cute little poodle down the block and kind of wanted to go off, you know, and it started, I yanked that choke collar, and it'd get him back into uh, obeying me. And I pictured God as if he were holding me on a leash, and he was just daring me to flirt with the temptation so he could angrily jerk me back into compliance. But then I read the Bible, and I found that's not God's attitude. It's not his attitude. He isn't arbitrarily trying to spoil my fun. 
He's trying to lovingly protect me from the emotional and the physical and the relational and spiritual downsides that come when we indulge ourselves in temptations. Actually, he's in my corner. Hebrews 4 verse 15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. You know, it's always easier to talk about dealing with temptation with someone who's been there. So now when I, talk about, when, I, when I talk to the Lord about the pressures in my life to take ethical shortcuts, I don't imagine him saying, shame on you for even, you know, entertaining those thoughts. Instead, I imagine him saying to me, I know, I know, I know. Believe me, I understand. Let me help you. Let me help you. And he does help. He does. Paul assures us in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13, God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. But again, the real question is how? When you're in the midst of fighting off a temptation, how do you access the power of God? We're going to deal with the how question in just a few moments. Let me deal first with one other area where we need God's power. Not only can God empower us to avoid doing what we know we should not do, but the flip side of that is God can also empower us to do what we know we should do, but we lack the power to do on our own. In other words, God can give us the power to follow his teachings. You know, if you read the Bible, you know it contains a lot of teaching about how we should act if we're to be um, men and women of godly character. But I'll be the first to raise my hand and confess that without God's help, I just can't do a lot of this stuff. I just can't. Serve others? I mean, sorry, I'd rather put my own needs first. Be humble? Come on, everybody knows the way you get ahead is to toot your own horn, right? Be generous? My natural inclination is to cling to my possessions. Be patient? You ever drive in Houston traffic? Come on. <laughs> Forgive those that have hurt me. Hey, I'm from Chicago, where the unofficial motto is, don't get mad, get even. But as Christians, our objective should be that Christ is formed in us, as Galatians 4 verse 19 says. That involves going down the often arduous path of submission, growth, and maturity that, frankly, I can't walk by myself. I need God's power if I'm going to make progress. But again, there's the question, how do I get that power? We all want God's power, how do we get it? So let me talk very practically now about the how question. You know, accessing the power of God, it doesn't involve pushing the right buttons or chanting the right words, but there are biblical steps that we can take. I call them the five A's because each step begins with the letter A. But when you need God's power in your life, Follow these five steps. First, admit that you're weak without God. Just admit it. You know, uh, my first reaction in a crisis is to try to get through it by myself because I don't like to depend on anybody else. But what I've learned is we cannot be filled with the power of God until we first empty ourselves of the pretense that we can get by on our own. 
We need to admit we can't get through this tragedy. We can't resist this temptation. We can't mold our character without God's outside intervention. I mean, so often in Scripture, from Moses to Paul, we see the same pattern. People humbly admitting their weakness and then God filling them with his power. In fact, Paul said in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9, But the Lord said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that God's power may rest on me. You see, the longer we stubbornly uh, resist the obvious, that we're ultimately powerless by ourselves, the more we sink into the mire. The bottom line is we cannot reach out and cling to the strength of God if we're too busy straining to clutch our own self-sufficiency. Second step, affirm God's power and his presence. I mean, once we come face-to-face with the reality of our own weakness, we need to remind ourselves that we serve an all-powerful God who all throughout history has an uncanny track record of infusing his followers with strength. 1 Chronicles 16, verses 11 and 12 say this. Look to the Lord and his strength. Seek his face always. Remember the wonders he has done, his miracles and the judgments he has pronounced. In other words, dwell on how he empowered Moses, how he strengthened David, how he undergirded Daniel, how he emboldened Peter, and how he supported Paul. Remember how time after time after time he has proved himself trustworthy. And in addition to acknowledging God's power, we need to affirm his willingness to be present in our lives right here in the 21st century. My daughter Allison, when she was a teenager in high school, was in a musical where they sang a song that Bette Midler made famous in the 1980s. The name of the song was From a Distance. And so they're singing this song, and when they came to the lyrics in that song that said, God is watching you from a distance, I wanted to stand up and say, that's a lie. That's not, no, I didn't do it because Allison would have freaked out. But I wanted to say, that's just not true. God does not watch us from a distance. Last week we talked about this, that he is here, that he is close, that he is accessible, that he is present in our lives. Theologically, we say that God is both transcendent that is above all, and simultaneously he is eminent, which means he is with us, he is close to us, he is present in our lives. Joshua 1 verse 9 says, be strong and courageous, do not be terrified, do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Our confidence and our strength and our courage are bolstered When we remember that the same God who empowered people through the ages is the same God who's willing to be present in our lives today, right now, in the midst of our crisis, our temptation, or at the character crossroads that we're facing. Third step, align yourself with God's will. Align yourself with God's will. You might remember that famous country song a number of years ago that said, looking for love in all the wrong places. Well, the truth is, sometimes we're looking for God's strength for all the wrong reasons. But God's power is not like some electrical outlet that you can plug any appliance into and it'll power it. Look at what Jesus said in John 15, verse 5. He said, I am the vine, you are the branches. 
In other words, we need to be intimately connected with God and his purposes. Then he goes on and says, if you remain in me and I in you, then you will bear much fruit. In other words, it's when we're working in harmony with God that he's willing to give us the power to accomplish great things. And then the verse concludes with the stark reminder, apart from me, you can do nothing. In other words, when we're independently pursuing our own agenda, we shouldn't expect that God would necessarily contribute to it. I mean, it wouldn't make sense for God to supernaturally renew our strength so that we could pursue a pet project that runs contrary to his plan for our life, right? That doesn't even make sense. We need to make sure that we're traveling the road that he wants for us as we seek his help in moving down that road. I mean, he wants the best for us, so of course, wouldn't it make sense for us to get in sync with his plan for our life? Aligning ourselves with God's will begins when we initially put our trust in Jesus as the forgiver of our sins and the leader of our life. And then it's an ongoing process as we continue to grow in our relationship with him and increasingly submit to his agenda for our life. And as we mature in our faith, we become more and more adept at discerning his will for us. We grow familiar with his voice. We immerse ourselves in his book and we test everything against it. We receive guidance from the Holy Spirit. We seek wise counsel from other Christians. And we develop confidence that as we head in God's direction, we're going the right way and he will encourage us and empower us along the way. Next step is this. Ask God for the power that you need. Ask God for the power that you need. You know, when I was 16 years old, my brother Ray, uh, the one who died this last year, um, bought a 1968 brand new uh, Corvette convertible, electric blue Corvette convertible with a big engine in it. It was awesome. I mean, if you know anything about cars, the 68 Corvette was a breakthrough year, totally new body style, and it, it was just an awesome machine. And my brother bought one. Well, I'm 16 years old. I'm his brother. I want to borrow the car, right? But I was too intimidated to come out and ask for it because I figured what kind of idiot would let his 16-year-old brother drive a Corvette? So, so, so I, would, I would hint around, you know, and I'd say, hey, I saw the car out in the driveway. It's just, it just looks kind of lonely out there, to be honest. It's just... Looks like it needs some exercise. Looks like it needs to kind of get that oil flowing through the veins, you know. Looks like it could use some action and some movement. And I'd go on and on like that. Finally, he looked at me and said, Lee, if you want to borrow my car, just come out and ask for it. And so I did. And he let me borrow his car. And that's a whole different story that I won't get into. But... <laughs> My point is this, so often we want the power of God in our lives. We want it to intervene in our life, but we beat around the bush. James 4 verse 2 says, you do not have because you do not ask God. We need to come right out and express to him the desires of our heart. So having admitted our inability to handle the matter ourselves, having affirmed God's power and presence in our life, having aligned ourselves with God by wanting what he wants for us, we should forthrightly and specifically ask him for supernatural help. And there are times when I've gone through these steps in my life and wow, I, I, I feel empowered, I feel emboldened, I feel uh, courage, I feel effectiveness. And I can only attribute that to the work of God. But guess what? Other times, I don't feel anything. 
I don't feel, it doesn't always happen that way. I don't often or always feel this infusion of God's strength and power. I've gone through those steps, but I still feel intimidated. I still feel fearful. So what do you do then? What do you, and I think this next step is the key to it all. When you don't feel, if you're going through those steps, if you don't feel empowered, if you don't feel the courage, if you don't feel emboldened, then act out of obedience to God. Act, nevertheless, out of obedience to God. Years ago, a colleague of mine pointed out a pattern he'd noticed in Scripture. He said, even when we don't feel empowered, if we nevertheless take action by obediently proceeding down the road that God wants us to walk, he will give us power as power is needed. We see that, for example, in Luke chapter 17, when there are 10 lepers who call out to Jesus from a distance and say, heal us, you can heal us, heal us. And Jesus says to them, go show yourselves to the priests. In other words, to confirm that they've been healed. But they look and they still have leprosy. So what's the deal? Jesus is saying, go to the priests and show them you've been healed. But they're not any different. But you know what they did? They proceeded down the road anyway. Nevertheless, and Luke 17, 14 says, and as they went, in other words, as they acted in obedience, they were cleansed. God healed them along the way. Think of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's right before he's going to be brutally executed for the sins of the world. He's overwhelmed with emotion over his impending death. He's feeling fearful. He's feeling weak. And after praying and assuring that he was aligned with God's will, he obediently walked out of that garden into the arms of his betrayers and down the road to his death that resulted in the atonement of sins for humankind. And God gave him the strength as strength was needed to accomplish that mission. And when you and I walk down the road of obedience to God, even when we're not feeling empowered, you know what we're doing? We're demonstrating faith. That's faith. Faith isn't just believing something, it's belief and behavior. It's believing something and then taking action in accordance with what we believe. Hebrews 11 verse 6 says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. But the flip side of that is with faith. In other words, by being obedient and trusting that God will come through for us, we'll receive power as power is needed. I've seen this in my own life so many times. I remember a number of years ago, I got a phone call one day from a woman I didn't know. And she said, hey, you don't know me, but um, I'm Jewish. I said, okay, fine. She said, yeah, but I read your book, The Case for Christ, and I've become a Christian. I said, that's awesome. She said, yeah, I'm really excited about it. I'm wondering, would you and your friend, Mark Middleberg, would you be willing to come over to my place and to share Jesus with my boyfriend? I said, of course, of course. But she said, well, you need to know something. I said, what? She said, he's a Muslim. I said, that's fine. I, God loves Muslims. I love Muslims. I, I'd love to talk to him about Jesus. And he said, she said, well, one other thing you need to know about him. He's kind of famous. I said, well, well, who is he? She said, he's Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. <laughs> and she said, oh, by the way, he's not too happy when people try to proselytize him. Now, you got to understand something. I'm a huge basketball fan. 
I'm a huge fan of the NBA. When I was in Chicago, that was the era, of Mike, the era of Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls, and I was a huge Bulls fan. And then I moved to California, and I was living in L.A. during the Kobe Bryant era. So I was a huge Lakers fan during that era. I just love NBA basketball, and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar could very well be the greatest NBA player in the history of the game. In fact, he is the number one scorer in the history of the sport. Nobody has scored more points than Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. He had a record of six Most Valuable Player Awards. He had six championship rings. And oh, did I mention he's the number one scorer in the history of the NBA? Not number two, not number three, not number five. He is the biggest scorer who ever played the game. Unbelievable. And he's a brilliant guy. Uh, he reads the Quran in Arabic. He, uh, he's a historian. He's written a number of, of books. And so I'm nervous. I, you know, I'm intimidated. He's 7'2", first of all. That's intimidating just to anybody. But so my buddy and I, Mark, show up at the porch of his girlfriend's place, and we're nervous. We're, we're pacing back and forth. You know, we're knowledgeable about Islam. We know something about it, but we're not scholars in that area. Could we really carry on a meaningful conversation with him uh, regarding Islam? Um, and we're just feeling weak and intimidated and sometimes, you know, the bigger the opportunity, the stronger are the forces that want to hold you back. So we stood on that porch. I'll never forget it. We prayed. And we admitted our weakness. And we affirmed God's power and presence to guide us. We knew we were aligned with God's will because he wants everyone to hear the gospel. And we asked God specifically, give us the words. Give us the, the right approach. Help us to communicate clearly your message of hope and grace. But here's the thing. We didn't feel any different. We still felt intimidated. We still felt like weak. And so what did we do? We decided to act by taking a step of obedience in the same direction we knew that God wanted us to go. And so we reached up and we rang the doorbell. And guess what? God gave us power as power was needed. And we had a terrific spiritual conversation with Kareem, lasted all afternoon. And then later, he came over to my house. We grilled steaks together. We talked about God for uh, hours and hours and hours. Mark had another meeting with him. And through it all, God gave us great insights, and he gave us the exact words that we needed to say. And so if you need power in your life, take action. Take action. If you're feeling overwhelmed by a personal tragedy, take a step of action. Go to the phone, call the church, say, I need to talk to a pastor. I need to pray with someone about this tragedy in my life. If, if temptation has its tentacles around you, take action. Download a program that'll block the adult sites from your computer if that's what's needed. If character shortcomings are keeping you from living out the teachings of Jesus in your life, take action. Call a Christian friend and ask him to hold you accountable. Tell you, I need to grow in this area. Would you hold me accountable and expect that God will give you power as power is needed? One of the great examples of this, and I'll close with this story. This is one of my favorites. Um, one of my favorite examples of this comes from a guy by the name of Brother Andrew. How many of you have ever heard that name, Brother Andrew? Anybody? Yeah, a few, but not, not many. 30 years ago, everybody would have heard of Brother Andrew in, in the Christian circles because he was a legend. He was a hero of the faith. 
And the reason was that during the Cold War, when so many countries like Romania and, and Russia and other countries were um, um, blocked to the Bible, they would not allow Bibles into their country. Um, and they would have guards at the border who would confiscate Bibles. If you got caught with a Bible, you may be sent to prison, maybe sent to a concentration camp. I mean, this was an era where it was illegal in many communist countries to have a Bible. But Brother Andrew's ministry was to smuggle Bibles into these closed countries. He was nicknamed God's smuggler. And um, so I had an opportunity at one point to, to interview him for a project I was doing. And I said, how did you do that? How, how were you able to smuggle millions of Bibles into these closed countries where you'd be arrested if they caught you? And he said that once he sensed God was leading him to bring Christian materials into a nation, he took concrete action in obedience even when the door of entry seemed securely shut. Somehow, as he would drive toward the border with his books, God would always empower him along the way to fulfill his mission, and he would get the books into that country. I love the way he described it. This is the way he put it. He said, the door may seem closed, but it's only closed the way a supermarket door is closed. It stays shut when you remain at a distance. But as you deliberately move toward it, a magic eye above it sees you coming and the door opens. He said, God is waiting for us to walk forward in obedience so he can open the door for us to serve him. So here's the bottom line. When you demonstrate faith by taking concrete, specific steps of obedience to God, he is more than willing to intervene supernaturally in your life. Through it all, hold on to the words of King David in Psalm 37 when he said this. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him, and he will do it. And he will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your judgment as the noonday. Let's pray. Father, I sense right now there's some people here and people watching who want your power in their life, but they don't know you. They're not, they're not your child. They're not your son or daughter. They've never received forgiveness and eternal life, this gift of grace through your son. And so, Father, for those right now who want to take that step to enter into your kingdom of God today and forever, I pray that even in this moment, in their hearts, they would say, Father, I'm a sinner. I've done things they were wrong. I knew they were wrong before I did them, and I did them anyway. And I want to turn from that. And right now, I want to receive this free gift of your grace, forgiveness, and eternal life. This gift purchased for me by your son when he died for my sins. Help me, Father to live the kind of life that you want me to live because from this moment on, I am yours. And Father, we know for those that have taken that step now, 2021 is gonna be a great year of growth and adventure. We pray for all of us that you would manifest your strength and power in our lives this year. 
as we go through tribulations, as we seek to resist temptations that draw us down the wrong roads, and as we seek to follow your teachings in our life, give us your power, give us your strength, and we will give you all of the glory. We pray this in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. God bless y'all. Hey, church. Thanks for listening to the Woodlands Church with Carrie Shook podcast. By listening, we hope that you're encouraged wherever you are. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast so that you can get the latest messages each week. For more information on Woodlands Church, check out the description for a link to our website and how to connect with us. We hope you have a great week.